Hello and welcome to this, the 29th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Ingus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And mercifully, I'm feeling a little more human this week because I've had a chance to rest up a bit after the madness of uh, of taking Fight Night over to Glasgow, which was just such a, an amazing experience and, and delighted for the company that it went as well as it did and particularly delighted for Mike Sheehan that it went as well for him uh, as it did. It was just a, a crazy little roller coaster ride, but it meant that I was pulling kind of 16, 18, 20 hour days for about three weeks straight. So I was delighted just to get back to a bit of normality and to be able to focus exclusively on the house, the Tom Murphy play at the Abbey that I'm currently working on, which is really shaping up to be something kind of exciting. I don't want to say too much about it, I don't want to jinx it too much, but um, look, you take a really great director, a really great play, and a really great company of actors, and a great design team, you know, things are going to happen, hopefully. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I'll be telling you an awful lot more about that as we get closer to the time. We're still a couple of weeks away from opening, but uh, I think it's shaping up to be something pretty special, so I hope you're all going to go and enjoy it. So, as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never ever charge for these conversations, but we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre, because the whole ethos of this podcast is to support, promote, and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. What's the best way you can go and support? Buy yourself some goddamn tickets. I bang on about this every week. Just go and put your money back into the industry. It makes sense, it keeps us all ticking over, and it keeps us making the great work that we all love and enjoy. Um, if tickets are a little outside your reach, at the moment, go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie and check out one of the theatre campaigns being run over there. I'm delighted to see uh, this week that Night of the Living Dead from Devious Theatre has got over the line. Um, so they'll be getting that much needed funding to help with their production later this summer. Of course, if things are a bit tight at the moment, you, there are many ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, uh, whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or by sharing the link on Facebook or retweeting the link on Twitter. Go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Uh, you can stream it from fightnight.ie if you're out and about and you can also access it at radiomade.ie go back and listen to all our other episodes on iTunes and please 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 leave us a review on iTunes it does so much in terms of chart position uh, which raises our profile and the higher profile we have the higher profile we can give to all the uh, theatre makers that we're profiling here so uh, do please leave us a review or if you don't have time for that just simply click to rate us it's a five star rating system it's a one click deal that's not asking too much you can follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Rise Ireland. So that brings us to our guest this week, and this one was a great one, guys. Um, one of the most inspirational chats I've had in this entire series of of podcast chats. And it's with the brilliant Amy Conroy, who, uh, apart from being one of the nicest people in the business, is really, without question, one of the most exciting theatre makers out there at the moment. I had finally the great honour and opportunity to go and see I Heart Alice Heart I when it played the Peacock a while ago because uh, it came about at the same time that Fight Night did. And, uh, and we were just chasing each other around the country, always playing the same festivals right beside each other and always clashing with each other. So we never got a chance to see each other's show uh, until very recently. And and I went to see it in the Peacock and it was an astonishing piece of theatre just an incredible piece of work I wept like a child throughout start to finish just tears streaming down my face uh, just 
uh, just an exceptional show. Um, Amy's absolutely brilliant, and this is uh, it's a really interesting and, and I think inspiring chat. And uh, you know, and apart from anything else, it's great to have you know more female voices here in the podcast. You know, uh, we've had a lot, lot of discussion on trying to maintain balance across these conversations, um, both amongst ourselves here at Rise Productions, but also with you know the wider theatre community and people who've been tuning in and listening. And and it's a difficult balancing act to get because you're talking about people looking uh, for, you know to keep a gender balance, people looking to keep a balance in terms of the age profile people looking to get a regional balance people saying we don't have enough directors or we have too many actors or we don't have enough designers and uh, you know maybe in some ways it's impossible to please everybody we think we're doing a pretty good job of keeping the different voices as, as diverse and as interesting as possible we're trying to cover as many different bases and as many different perspectives as possible um, but you know we are acutely aware of the fact that you know there has been kind of a male bias over this uh, podcast for the last little while and uh, it's something we are always working on uh, and I have to say I got a phone call yesterday to say that we have lined up um, even more spectacular ladies to speak to you over the next couple of weeks. I'm kind of a little shocked by who we've got, but it's great. It's really exciting. So the next few we have are, are pretty special ones. So you're in for a treat. Look, again, as usual, here's me rabbiting on at the start. You want to get into the meat of this. Here she is, the phenomenal Amy Conroy. The wonderful Amy Conroy. Thank you so much for coming to be on the podcast. This is amazing. How the hell are you? I am super. I'm awesome. very good. Thank you. I'm good. Right. We start this way every week, so let's start this way this week. Uh, Why, in the name of God, choose this as a profession? Where did it start for you? Where was the spark of a love for theatre? Do you know, that's a really uh, good question, and sometimes I don't know if I have the answer for it. Why I do this? Uh, Because I don't think I could do anything else. Right. I don't think there was ever... um, I just... I knew what I wanted from a very young age. Now, I did think there was a brief time in history when I thought that I might be a rapper. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or a drummer or a stand-up and then I realised if you're an actor you can do all of those <laughs> wow no, so and the rap, the rap career 12. was short-lived that was short-lived but I kept that pretty real I have to say okay. mm. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it um, and so then what were the first forays into trying it out was there youth drama do you was know, there there wasn't actually I come from a small town in uh, Kerry called Carcelline and at the time there weren't really enough there just wasn't an awful lot on offer um there was kind of a local Amdram society, and I think the school did a production, the secondary school did a production every year. But that all kind of stopped when I went, for some bizarre reason, during my time in the, in the school, it kind of stopped. I think they thought it was a bit disruptive. Um, so then there was Youth Club, which I was involved in, and we did um, drama pieces and that, and we went on you know, competitively and all that kind of stuff. But there wasn't an awful lot on offer, which was really unfortunate, I think, and I, I hope now that things are a little bit different uh, throughout the country and in smaller communities. But um, I just, I just knew that this is what I wanted. I just knew, you know, that, that just, the burning and the yearning, you know, yeah. this is what I'm going to do. And in a way, I did feel, in a way, that's really liberating and really, um, well, it's liberating in the sense that you, you know what you want, which yeah. you know is great. But it's very hampering in another sense because you know what you don't want and everything else is what you don't want. So you're kind of biding your time uh, and getting through uh, the years so that you can go and do what you want. And um, like really, I knew I had my my sight set firmly on it. I didn't quite know how I was going to do it or what I was going to do. Right, okay. But I knew that I had to get out, and that's what I and I was going to act. Um, so COCIS time rolled around, and that that was pretty, it was a farce. I think at one stage I put down uh, meat marketing in Tralee. Uh, right. Yeah, you know I was taking it really seriously. Um, no, I put a load of this rubbish down because I knew that I wasn't going to kind of. Sure. The one the one and only thing I was going to do was to act, right, and okay. that was that. Um, 
Yeah, that was good. And my poor mother, that's all I'd say. Sorry, <laughs> mum. <laughs> so you had decided then, right, let's go and do it. Uh, and at what point then, then did a formal training come on your horizon? Well, I left, obviously I left when I finished uh, Leaving Cert. I auditioned for Trinity, but I went up, I, uh, I was so, I was just so uninformed. I went up and I, I was auditioning for the... Um, not the performance course, but the, for the, um, what is it? The, the BA one? Yeah, 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 but I didn't know that. Right, <laughs> I okay. Had, I had a, 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 I was pointed in the wrong direction by a, by a career guidance person who shall remain nameless. Okay. Um, so I rocked in thinking that's what I was going for. And then I sat down and did the interview, or did, did the audition, which was my first audition ever. And then I Jesus, did... Jesus, baptism of fire. Jesus, totally. And then I went in for the chats and they were kind of, well, why are you, why are you going, if, if you say you want to act, why are you going for, for, for this course and I kind of went, oh, am I? <laughs> I tried to cover it up really badly by going, oh, you know, um, do you know, just, uh, you know, it's always good to have something else, blah, blah, blah. But in my head I was going, shite, I didn't even know that. Wow. So I was very green and I knew that had gone horrifically. I knew that at that stage, you know, come on, if you don't even know what you're auditioning for. Okay. Um, and then I went and I auditioned for um, Inchicore. Um, and I got that on the day. I had without a couple of other auditions for stuff coming up, and I had said that, and they told me on the day that I had a place, and I said, right, that's it, I'll do that. Really, um, there and yeah, then on the spot. There and then on the spot, uh, because I I needed to know. Um, right. Okay. So that's, which was great. Um, so. That's, That's amazing, because I've heard stories of that happening to people. Never happened to me in any of the drama schools I've auditioned for. But I have heard of that happening before. That's, so there must have been an element of comfort in that. Like you say, if this is, when I, presumably that was your second audition ever in your life. Yeah. To have people say, no, you're fine, you can do this. You know, you're good enough. Presumably there was some kind of comfort in that. I suppose there was. I, at the time, I didn't see that because it was what I wanted. It was all, it was all I was doing. So sure. if this, you know what I mean? There was no option that this wasn't going to work out. Right, okay. Of course you know, they were going to say yes. Of course they were going to say yes. <laughs> Not in any arrogant way, but in like, yeah. well, I'll just keep banging on doors until somebody says yes. So, you know, the second door said yes, fine, lovely, great. Grand, excellent. Off we go. Uh, and so did that mean a move up to Dublin then for a couple of years? Yeah, I moved up. Uh, I left. I left when I was, uh, I just turned 18. So wow. that was me gone. <laughs> I was being gone in Dublin and um, kind of finding my way. I was so poor. Oh, Jesus, I was broke. And there was a time initially when I came up first where I didn't go home for months and months on end purely because I thought if I go, I won't come back again. Right. So I kind of had to just stick it out. And um, yeah, was, I was in a lot of uh, itchy jumpers. <laughs> right, okay. So tell me a little bit about your time in Inchicore then. What was that training like? How intense was it? Is it something you look back on now as being a massively useful time? Uh, well, of course, all training is incredibly useful. Um, I would have liked to have trained a little bit harder. Okay. Um, but I still enjoyed the course. I enjoyed the people. Um, I kind of, I think the course is great, uh, but I think I learned you learn just as much when you get out and you start practicing. Yeah. You know, I think that's really where you cut your teeth. I think maybe Trinity might prepare you a little better for that. Right. Okay. So you you feel like you're kind of making up time. Yeah. Which is not isn't to say it's not a good course. Yeah. But um, you know, I was kind of hungry, so. And you were just ready to get out and get ready doing to get it out and get doing it. Yeah. So Without knowing how to do it or where to even start yeah. as well, you know what I mean. But there <laughs> is that thing of the on the job training end of it that. You know, until you have an audience in front of you, until you're actually out there doing it, yeah. there is only so much you can do in that safe and, you know, environment. Exactly, yeah. But I suppose it's a delicate time as well. You know, you need to feel like you can do it and that you're good enough. 
and you also need to know that you have a lot to learn and I think if you come out thinking you know everything yeah. then I don't want to watch you on stage actually do you yeah. know what I mean I think you need to and I feel this way to, the, to this day if I ever stop thinking that I have loads to learn then I might yeah. as well go and do something else you know so the transition then from that training period to going out and doing beyond the job learning and performing yeah. everywhere else what was that transition like did it happen immediately for you were you sitting on dole queues for ages um, or, or what happened both, if that makes any sense. Uh, I, we did our, our graduation show was uh, the Agamemnon, and it was directed by Michael Scott, and I got to play Clyde and Nestor, which was fantastic. Nice. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved that show. And um, Michael then was going into production for The Mysteries 2000, which was an epic, absolutely epic show. It was an amazing it show. Was that was what I saw as yeah. well. It was just huge in scale, huge in cast oh, as well. There was like 30-something of us. It was about three hours long. It was the Bible from start to finish, written by a load of um, writers that weren't, didn't, weren't able to talk to each other about it. So they were writing what they wanted to write. So they couldn't marry their piece with somebody else's piece. So right, okay. the idea was that it was coming from loads of different angles. And uh, it was incredible fun, incredible madness, and um, incredibly ambitious, actually. It was a very yeah. ambitious piece. Um, so I went straight into that, which was fantastic. And then, um, you know yourself, like, you've got bits and pieces, but nothing to kind of, nothing to kind of, you're, you're pushing, you're still pushing the ball, yeah. you're still pushing the rock up the hill, you know? And uh, when you lose momentum, you feel like you roll back down again. Yeah, you know? but, but Michael Scott was someone who you did a fair bit of work with. Uh, yeah, I did a good bit of work days. with Michael and, and I... The, the man who also gave me my start in the business, so I've got nothing but uh, nice nothing things to nice say about him. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I learned a, a shed load as well about the industry, which I did, was really ignorant about when I left uh, college. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to be a little bit oblivious because you don't want to know too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot, I have to say. So I'm really thankful for that. I have, you know. And then tell me a little bit about where your love for the wonderful Barabbas came along. Uh, when when did that happen? What sparked that? Uh, I was obsessed with Barabbas for ages and ages. Um, I saw, I just think, oh, legends. <laughs> uh, just legends. Come on, off the fence. Tell us what uh, you really think. <laughs> I saw the white-headed boy when I was in, I think it must have been my third year in college, and I walked out of the white-headed boy and I just sat there going, that's the thing, Th you know, that is the thing, uh, it was very unique, very different, uh, it was very unique, very different for us here, and you're kind of going, uh, it broadened, it made me think, it allowed me to think sideways. Right. You know, instead of going, here's your text and here's the thing, you know, you, your, your body, the movement, the, you know, to how to engage everything and get a great sense of play and fun into the piece while still serving the piece. Um, I just felt so invigorated by that show. I loved it. And I was, I loved them and their work. Um, and uh, I was delighted to, uh, I did a workshop with them a few years later. Um, I didn't even. This is how Greeno was. I did not realize the workshop we were doing was a casting workshop. I thought we were going for the play, and I had the crack. But anyway, subsequently I got cast in in a Buffon show for young people called Blowfish. It was in right. the Ark as part of the Dublin Theatre Festival, and um, we just had great fun working on that. And it was the most physical show I'd done. And I mean, it was as it was on a par with the Blanche, like it right. was. Well, it was a Buffon show. We were yeah. mad, big fat suits. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it was just brilliant, and it just, I, I, it's hard to even articulate it. It just, I really remembered why I loved this. 
yeah. or if I didn't, or it really cemented why I love this and the possibilities, and the possibilities are endless, you know, uh, of what we can do and, and how we can do it. So it really sparked that for me, and, and, and they, in, as individuals, and their work to, up to now continues to do that always. So was that then the start of your relationship with the certain Ms. Veronica Coburn then? The because she's Veronica. who you've worked with a huge amount across a lot I've of different really mediums. really lucky enough to work with Veronica a lot. And Raymond as well, I have to say, they're both ledge bags. That's, <laughs> that's, a, the that's, a, that's, a, that's a technical that's, theatrical yeah, term, yeah, 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 yeah sure. Yeah. You can also rent them at the um, stage lighting. <laughs> uh, no, I, so I've worked a lot with Raymond and I've worked uh, more so, I suppose, with Veronica now in the last few years. Um, she just, she re- Veronica really inspired me to start to start writing and to start uh, making my own theatre. Now I knew I, w- I wanted to, but she really gave me the push to do it. And she'd be the person that um, I would, if, if, she, if she would indulge me, I can email her at company and go, can you have a look at that? And you have a spare hour? And she does, you know, and she'll come back and kind of go, now, very supportively, but very constructively tell me A, B and C about yeah. the thing or the piece. Um, so... Uh, I did a show last year called Eternal Rising of the Sun, yes, um, which I had asked Veronica to come on board with and uh, direct it. And she so graciously said yes. And I said, now it's funding dependent because I didn't get funded for I Heard Alice Heart or Eternal Rising of the Sun. So wow. I made them on. I was very lucky to get uh, Arts Council bursaries, but I never got, I still have not received any funding. Wow. Um, so I made them on bursaries. <laughs> I made them yeah. on pennies. So I had emailed Veronica saying, now funding dependent. Uh, I want to, this is what I want to do. And Veronica got back to me straight away and said, yes, funding or no funding? Yes. Uh, as did uh, Looney McDonough from Pony Dance, who came on board right. uh, to help with the dance. Basically, taught me how to dance. Not saying I can dance, but, <laughs> but uh, showed me the process. And um, she said the exact same thing, so I was so fortunate. Uh, so, yeah, Veronica and I are... I'm, I'm, de- I'm delighted to be able to say Veronica's a mate, a That's friend. Brilliant. You know, it's really... Yeah. Can you... Put your finger on, the, you know, is there one specific thing that makes her magic or is there one specific thing that just works for you two as a creative pair or is it just a total package of brilliance? She's just deadly. <laughs> I just think she's deadly. That's it. Uh, I always say I want to be Veronica Coburn when I grow up. Like I'll be 60 and I still want to be Veronica Coburn when I grow up. I wouldn't tell that to her face. So, no, definitely you know, not. No. Definitely not. Um, you mentioned a certain show called The Blanche, which we have to bring up, <laughs> if only for the fact that it gives us an opportunity to mention Brian Burroughs. Brian Burroughs, I cannot stand the man. Jesus, a shiny God. head He's on him, smiling around. Shiny, smiely head on him, Jesus. That show, I was listening to your podcast with Brian, and we used to call it the show that could not and would not die. No matter how hard we hit the bastard, it would not die. And it spanned over four years. Now, it went for two over two years, but like we started in... Was it just I can't remember, but anyway, the process and the end spanned over four years. Like right. it was epic, and it felt epic in every regard. It was Kieran Taylor's company, uh, the um, Carpet Theatre, and the uh, Blanche. We rehearsed it, we improved, and oh Jesus, we, it just went on forever. It was one of the most physically mental shows mm. ever, but it was so much fun to do. When you got it right, when you felt the um, when when all when when. Obviously, the, music, the musicians Jack and Kim, but the three perform the three actors. Um, when we were totally in sync, when we were all working to the same speed, pace, level, uh, it was pure magic and pure joy to do. Um, and also, like it was beautifully frustrating, you know, when you were just a little bit out of sync and trying to kind of wind it back yeah. up together. But when you get that level of um, complicity, it is oh, it's better than. Anything. It's better than Cornettos in the Sun. Well, that's you know really what I mean? good. Yeah. Um, 
So talk about working in that kind of physical style. Mm-hmm. Do you find it, you know, limiting in that we can only work in a particular way, or is it actually very freeing that once you have that set of rules, yeah. the freedom within those rules? Is... Oh, totally. Once you know the rules, you can go absolutely anywhere. You know, and that that's just I love it. I love working so hard physically that you're going to die. Yeah. But you get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you will push yourself to your absolute physical, to to the nth degree and. It's brilliant, you get real skinny and all, it's bleeding deadly. <laughs> but uh, uh, you just, you are so fully committed, physically and obviously to the, the, the text and the script. Um, it's just, it's a joy, it's, it's, it's why, it's one of the whys, you know, that yeah. feeling where you kind of go, you know, I did this, I did this to the best of my ability and I'm really pleased with it. Now, the audience may like it or may not, hopefully they do. Sure. But when you can take a bow and be proud of what you've done, uh, that's the best thing ever, like. You mentioned Eternal Rising of the Sun, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, is that the second show from Hot for Theatre? Yeah, Eternal Rising is the second show, the first show. So tell me about Hot for Theatre. Where did that come about from? Why did it come about? Why did you feel, you you said that Veronica kind of eased you in that direction, but what was the the impetus for it saying, look, I want to make my own company, I want to make my own work? Um, Well, I've I've been an actor, I suppose, for over 10 years, Um, maybe 13 Oh God, it might be 13 years. I've been saying that for a long time, which leads me to believe that it's longer. <laughs> um, and I've enjoyed every second of it. But you know, there are dark days, man, when things are not coming in and it's slow and slow and slow. And I had a long, I had some very dark times when just, oh, it just wasn't moving and I felt really stuck and I wasn't being seen for the things I wanted to be seen for. And I wasn't enjoying theatre, actually. I kind right, of stopped okay. enjoying it. Um, and that's crap. If, if and when that happens, that's really horrible. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting because the way you talk about theatre now, there's such a glint in your eye and such a, a deep passion for that. There always was and there yeah. always is, but there was a moment where I just felt, I think I got a bit begrudging. I, I think, you know, when things aren't happening for you, yeah. you get a bit, oh, it makes you a bit ugly, actually, you know, in your soul. And yeah. I'm so, thankfully, there was a dark while, but it's gone. It's gone for many of the year now. But um, it's a horrible place to be and it's a horrible feeling to feel. And um, I think if you ever do feel the, 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 the dirty fingers of it, you know, pulling at your coat, it's good to recognise and go, ah, ah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, um, so I was just feeling a bit stuck in a rut. And I knew that, and I was hungry to oh, change or to do more. And I kind of knew that, okay, I need to, I need to start uh, thinking that way. Um, so I kind of gradually started making different choices. So I applied for um, incubation space in the lab, which I was so delighted to receive from um, DCC. Uh, and I spent a month there plotting and planning and working with uh, a few different, with several, working with Veronica, and Ruth Lahan came in, Claire Barrett came in, Neve McGrath came in, uh, Sonia Kelly came in, just working on different pieces. So you're getting your, your brain, your body, everything moving again, uh, and properly and focused. Um, then I did, I can't remember which came first. I did the um, the next stage, yes. which I was delighted to do. Um, How brutally punishing a schedule is the next it's stage? It's theatre boot camp. <laughs> it kicks your ass in a really good way. And uh, it was a season of documentary theatre. Uh, so we saw an absolute load of documentary theatre, which some of which I loved and some of which I didn't love. Um, and that's how I knew... I, firstly, I knew I was going to start making my own work. And then that's where um, the... Uh, that's where I suppose 
that's where the structure of I Heart Alice Heart Eye came from. Because um, I just felt like I'd give it a good old poke for the crack, yeah. see what happens. And um, and then the story of the, the, the Alice's story kind of came to me on the on the treadmill <laughs> in, in the gym. Uh, I suppose listening to music or right. running or doing something like that uh, is where when your head finally kind of goes, okay, you can find, you can think now, you know. And, That's really uh, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's where the idea of fighting came from too, on yeah, the treadmill in the gym. on the treadmill in the gym. It's always when wow. your body's working and when there's music pumping and you kind of, I don't know, you're just, your imagination is let loose, you know, and you're energised and you're moving. Uh, so I had these women, I had this uh, story in my head and I had, I knew, I knew the what I wanted to do and the why I wanted to do it and the how I was going to do it. So it was just to marry those uh, two things. You know? And for you, in terms of the process of putting it together, do you sit down? I keep saying that a typewriter, obviously not because we're the Yes, exactly that. Do you, like Jennifer, Jessica Fletcher, sit down at an old fashioned typewriter? No, but I mean, the writing process for you is it um, workshopping and devising with other people in a room? Is it locked it's, away in a. It's everything and anything. Uh, for Alice, so I knew I had the idea, um, I kind of knew, knew, knew what was happening. But it's very hard to it's very hard to explain. It was really hard to explain. Uh, and uh, I gave Claire Barrager in, who's a great friend of mine and a wonderful actor. And I explained as best I could. And we got in a room and we kicked around um, kind of character ideas and um, timelines and stories, uh, and really developed the I suppose the the fabric of of the Alice's characters. Um, then I went away and we did that for two weeks. I went away and uh, wrote it up, came back, um, kicked it around again, went away and fixed it. <laughs> but Claire was, I mean, Claire was integral to the, to the, 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 the loveliness of those uh, two characters, you know, so it was great to, to, to be in a room with her, yeah. you know. Um, so that's where uh, I Heard Alice came from. Eternal Rising, I, st I trained for Eternal Rising for a year. Uh, yeah, I trained. Wow. With, yeah, I trained. I learned to dance with Leona McDonough over the course of a whole year, uh, and I had to do that because I had to know what it felt like to learn the the language, the physical language, and the sure. actual language of contemporary dance. Um, so I did that. Yeah, I did that for over a year, um, and she was just fantastic and so patient with me. And um, I thought oh, I could be grand. You know, I've done a lot of. Uh, I've done a lot of physical stuff. I can move, and then you kind of go, "Can you move beautifully?" Amy? I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, I know, and I and I mean that really did serve the character because I mean Gina Devine, who is the character in Eternal Rising of the Sun, not the Spotless Mind, thank you, of the Sun, um, uh, is in a room where she's the, the kind of lump in the room, and I, I have to feel I have to feel that to know what it is to feel that. Um, so. Yeah, so I sat with, so I was learning to dance. I also did a couple of Kushkin courses as well. Right, okay. And uh, but I sat down, and it took a long time actually to get through Eternal Rising. It's quite a dark piece, um, so that really came from sitting sitting down and doing yeah. it, um, and chopping and changing. But a lot of sitting down, and then eventually I sent it to Veronica Coburn, who said, you know, it's there, but you need to tweak it and twist it yeah. and pull it. And we did amazing work in the rehearsal room as well. She's just a phenomenal a director as well, with a physically and with text, so it was fantastic. How um, is it for you to perform in your own pieces? Is this a, a completely natural fit that makes perfect sense? Or do you sometimes find that, you, not that uh, there's a lack of objectivity, but just that you don't get to come at it from a completely different angle, that you, you know the piece inside out before you even start? Is that a great advantage? Uh, I found it a great advantage, yeah. but I have to say, um, I walk in to start rehearsals and I, 
I think of myself as an, I always think of myself as an actor first and a writer second. Okay. Uh, or I, I was an actor first and then and now I you know what I mean. Yeah. But um, when I walk into the room to start rehearsals. I have a great advantage because I know the rhythm of the piece. Yeah. I know the pace, I know the rhythm in my head. Um, but uh, I'm always, I continue to be surprised. Like, you find so much as, as the actor when you're approaching the text as an actor. Yeah. Um, it's completely different. And there are some fantastic surprises, you know, where your head goes, you're, I don't know if I can even articulate it, but when you're writing, you are constantly trying to keep up with yourself. Keep up with yourself. You know, you, I always, I always think of it as you, 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 in order to sit down to write something you have seen the thing okay so in your head you've seen the thing you've, you, you kind of know what it, what it is you want to achieve and you know what it is you want to do and then you lose sight of the thing completely and you bury your head down in writing the thing and over the course of writing the thing every so often you look up and you catch a glimpse of the thing you saw initially and you're chasing after that after that after that the whole okay. time and then when you get into the room as an actor you get to really um explore the journey to the thing um, in a, I've used it before but in a more sideways way if that makes any sense it makes no, sense to me no I think it does yeah. um, and um, so for instance there were parts of Eternal Rising of the Sun that I wrote and I knew they were important but and I knew they were really important to the character and I knew that they would be pinnacle moments for her journey yes. but you can't think of it as playing it you can think of it as writing it and then when you get into the room as, an act, as the actor like um, you can, the journey is going oh god Sorry, I shouldn't swear in the podcast. Ah, fuck it, you can say what you want. <laughs> but uh, I had moments when Eternal Rising where I was going, oh my god, I can't believe, you know, good moments where you're going, yeah. uh, Jesus, that's the journey. And I've actually, <laughs> yeah. this, this is quite a play, this is quite a play. <laughs> I think she might go somewhere. <laughs> so uh, that's a long winded way of saying uh, both answer. Both. That's your question, both. Both, excellent, yeah. lovely. <laughs> um, can we talk a bit about the Alice show? Yeah. Because I, I think it feels to me that in certain places it's been lauded as this great piece of gay theatre. Mm. And for my money, it's the it's, well, it's simultaneously one of the most overtly gay pieces, but also the least gay play I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's just a purely human story of a relationship yeah. that could have been anything. Mm. Um, how how do you view it? Do you view it as a piece of gay theatre? Do you think it matters at all? Um, I don't think it matters actually, but I don't see it. I'm, I'm reluctant to say this, or I need to say this right. Okay. I don't see it as a gay play. Okay. I see it as a very, very human play. Yes. Um, I think men, women, gay, straight, from 15 to 80 have come up and been able to identify with this play, thankfully, and I'm delighted that they can. Um, so for me, it's not a gay play. However, I do see the importance of, and this is one of the reasons why it's the story of two women, to represent these women their story on stage. It hasn't been done before and people haven't seen it. Right. And I think that's really important. And I think it's important for the audience, gay, straight, man, woman, to see these people and these lives reflected on stage and see how human it is and how it's, you know what, if I make a cup of tea, if you make a cup of tea, it's still a cup of tea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not having gay tea, it's tea. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's really imperative. So I think um, the gay community have really embraced this piece and I'm very proud of that. Yeah. But also so have, you know, my nan's cousins came to see it and also really embraced it. Yeah. They don't have gay tea. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have any gay tea. No. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I mean, look. I, I don't need to say this to you again. It's an exceptional piece of theatre, and it's it's stunningly beautiful. And I wept like a child throughout. <laughs> but at at any point, did you have any indication that you might have been onto something really special with this? 
No, not at all. I really didn't. Okay. Um, it was going to... I felt that it was going to uh, really hit the mark or fall flat on its face. Okay. Uh, and I felt... And it was a bit frightening, you know, like... Because it could have gone either way. And we told an awful lot of lies. For the first incarnation of I Heart Alice Heart I, we told... Uh, I, I lied on... I lied to the nation. <laughs> I lied on national broadcast. I lied everywhere, actually. And it was, I lied to everybody, and it was, as I said, going to, and so did poor Al Claire. I mean, I made, I said, no, you can't tell anybody. She told lies to everybody, blushing and pulling at her necklace and scarves. <laughs> she lied badly, but she lied nonetheless. Um, uh, no, she lied brilliantly, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, uh, so it could have gone either way. And why um, those lies? Why those lies to begin with? To begin with... Um, and what were those lies to We told... With? Well, I, the piece is presented as a piece of documentary theatre. I told everybody that I met these two women, Alice and Alice, in a supermarket. And I am cast into the play, if you know what I mean, as the director. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually the story is I didn't ever meet them. And I, I, so I, we'd say that we, I, uh, I interviewed them over the course of the year. Uh, together and separately, and the show is made of, I suppose, snippets of their, of, of the conversations that we would have had, and then sure. they perform it themselves. But in reality, it, I mean, that didn't happen, and it's Claire and I performing it, and we're not 65. Uh, but that's like the point is that the point is that it really doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we told lies basically because um, for, for the first time around, I mean, Claire wasn't even billed anywhere. It was just me and then Alice, Kinsella, Alice Lattery. <laughs> you know, so it was a lot of a lot of big ask on, on yeah. Claire. You know, Claire really had to kind of uh, trust uh, and trust the work, and and she, she was just phenomenal. That's not really necessary anymore. Uh, it was for its first incarnation, sure. and it served the piece. It's not really that necessary anymore, so uh, we don't have to do that. Um, why am I, I've gone off topic. What am I? What was I talking about? <laughs> well, we were talking about. Um, we were talking about success. Oh yeah. We were talking about whether you thought the success yeah. was going to come. So the piece really relied so heavily on hair and makeup and yeah. bodies. We we worked really hard on the physicality. We kind of have a lot of body stuffing and body padding. We have wigs from the fantastic Val Sherlock who came on board. I could not sing the man's praises highly enough and loudly enough. He he was just so superb. And if he hadn't come, if he had not come on board. And, and really supported us. And again, I had no money to offer that. Yeah. Bottle of wine, you know what I mean? And he really worked with us with makeup. So up until the final week, the makeup wasn't working and the wigs were, we, the, we weren't working the wigs, basically. Right. Um, and we had latex stuck all over the place. And um, I just thought, Christ, what have I done here? And in the final week, Val came out and said, Jesus, here. And he really he gave us a huge big hours of his time and really helped us again, as he had done previously. Yeah. And it worked, and uh, there was a moment coming up to the coming up to before we opened where I we had done a rehearsal, and I was reading it and, and I said, Do you know something, I, I I felt really proud of it. I felt really proud of Alice and Alice. To, I know they're not real, but to me they're really real. Yeah. I always think of them as, as being real people because I think that they are. Do you know, there's just there are so many Alices out there, um, and I went, oh God, I'm really proud of this, and I don't care if it flops. Right. I really don't care. I'm really proud of it. And I felt the same about Eternal Rising. I felt a lot of pressure for Eternal Rising of the Sun uh, because there had been such success with I Heard Alice yeah. that I kind of felt like, um, and because I'd spent so much time on it. And, um, and uh, yeah, anyway, I, I got to a point where I really, I don't mind if it flops. I really believe in the piece. And, uh, and that's all that matters. Once you have integrity in your work and in what you're doing, um, 
that that's all you can ask for, you know. It's all you can do. I'm, I'm I'm delighted that you know both shows have been so successful, and I mean Alice is now taking over the whole world. That's the, <laughs> that's the plan, isn't it? We've Global domination. Great, we've a great run with I have to say with Alice. So this year is looking. This year and next year are very exciting. Right. For in the half of theatre towers, very exciting. Some of which I can say, some of which I can't say. Um, so Alice, we finished in the Peacock, and a week later we went over to, we did a month's run in New York in the Irish Arts Centre. Well, who's counting? I mean, well, who's counting and all? Uh, <laughs> which really went very well, thankfully. Yeah. Um, we're going to Iceland, um, to the Locale Festival, then in October we're going to the Glasgow Festival in Glasgow, oh, okay. um, and, and then onwards and upwards for the, uh, the end of the year, beginning of the next year. Uh, so it's a, it is an exciting time, I have to say, and it's fantastic. Excellent. Might yeah. there be a life again for Eternal Rising, or are we allowed to speak about that? That's on the cards, I would imagine. Excellent. Great. I'm really leave it at that. Um, I want to talk to you about, because you've mentioned about doing these things without any direct Arts Council funding, mm. kind of, which is amazing that you've achieved as much as you have. It's the generosity of others, really, to be honest with you. So well, let's talk about the support structures yeah. for theatre artists out there, because you're involved both with the new Playwrights Programme at the, the Abbey, Abbey. Yeah. Um, but also part of Six in the Attic, which exactly. to my mind is an amazing. It's a um, fantastic centre. Yeah, I have to say. Well, I have to. I feel. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of love for the <laughs> theatre, and I'm so appreciative of it. You know, uh, we I now have we now have Jen Coppinger on board as the as the company manager, and who would produce all the new work. Really, so I didn't know that. that yeah, so that's, that's fantastic. Breaking news. All right, nice reductions. <laughs> so I'm so excited and and delighted with that. Um, um, what was I going? Oh yeah, and then we've had. Infinite support uh, from uh, Absolute Fringe right. and Rasha and on Fringe, so that has been so helpful. I did, um, I was, I did uh, make, you know, which is uh, yes. Up, we, we bring, uh, we bring, they bring a load of artists up to Anne McCarrick for a week, uh, and I got a load of work done there on the Turner Rising as well, and it was a great time. So I've had a lot of stuff kind of. A, a, a lot of stuff kind of land for me which has been so helpful but above and beyond I have to say Six in the Attic which is a, a resource sharing initiative run by um, uh, Irish Theatre Institute that has been phenomenally helpful for me as a, as a writer and uh, and for running the company you know yeah. and the mentorship and the, the space and the time uh, allowed and, and given Mm. within that has been incredibly, um, remarkably helpful, I have to say. And on, a, on a practical level, day to day, mm -hmm. is it just that you have an office that you have to get up off your arse and go to and there's that discipline? Yeah. Is it that, like you say, the, the just kind of the on-demand mentoring and support, yeah. just the, the wealth of knowledge that's there with those people? Yeah, it's all those things. Yeah. It really is. And it solidifies, it, it, what is the word I'm looking for? It, it... I can't think of the word. It's it. Uh, you have a base you have to turn up to, and you you are given a professional base, so therefore you must work to a professional capacity. Sure. And um, because you're lucky to have it, and if you don't, then somebody else should have it. Yeah. Basically, and um, a huge amount of support and belief, and you're kind of in the hub. You're in the heart of where everything is happening. So you don't. You're not sitting at home in your living room. Uh, trying to write something with no idea what's happening, what's going on, yeah. and that's that's really important for your morale and for your uh, for your brain, for your head as well, you know. Yeah. So, it's all those things. And then with the new playwrights program mm -hmm. at the Abbey, how much is that? How much of a challenge is that for you? Is it making you write in a different way? Is it op opening up new kind of avenues within your own writing? Well, I suppose it's opening up a different dialogue with the Abbey, which is good. Yeah. Um, Never any harm. <laughs> Never any harm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. It's been great. It's a series of uh, intensive workshops throughout the year, and 
and then and then you have to um, have a first draft of a new play uh, ready. I, now, thankfully, I would thank you for the generosity of, uh, of Brian Delaney, who gave me several um, extensions because <laughs> I was just crazy busy, and it's for all the right reasons. Yeah. But whilst on, I suppose, the New Players Programme, I was working on and wrote Eternal Rising of the Sun. It happened to just be at the same time, so I was kind of a play behind everybody, if you know okay. what I mean. So I started, I had to start working on a, a new piece fairly rapidly. So the pressure was really on, and the pressure really worked for me. I cannot believe I'm saying this because I only have come to believe this in the last two weeks. If you had asked me two weeks ago, I'd go, it's a nightmare, I can't yeah. do it. So, um, so I handed in the first draft of a new play um, about three, th- three weeks ago. We had um, a workshop and reading of it last week. Um, and now I have to go away and, and fix it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do, but uh, I, feel like I, I feel like I've been running after myself for the past year. Yeah. So I'm glad to have kind of caught my breath so that I can start running again, if that makes any sense. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, look, I'm, I'm just delighted. I'm delighted it's all going so well for you, and I'm delighted that's gonna that you know both of those shows are now even you know more shows in the road are gonna have yeah. uh, more exciting lives outside yeah. of this. So well, next year I should have a, a new hot for theatre piece as well. Uh, that's the plan. So we we'll start development development on that um, the end of this year, and then and that'll on. definitely be about a six foot ginger kid from Port Barnock who likes Gaelic football. Yeah, Brian Bird is going to play the part. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. Thank if people you. want to stay in touch with you and what you're up to, is there a Twitter, stroke Facebook that people can look There is, yeah, there's Twitter, Hot for Theatre. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we will soon be launching a website. Mm-hmm. So it's all very exciting. Excellent. So, so you're, you're easy exciting. to track down. Easy to track down, exactly. Yeah. Amy, thank you so it's much. It's such pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you. Put your pants back on now. <laughs> See, what did I tell you? The brilliant Amy Conroy. Such a pleasure to hang out with her. Such an interesting lady, such a phenomenal theatre maker and uh, and such exciting times coming down the road for her. Uh, so busy at the moment. Uh, I think it's only going to get better and better and, and no one deserves it more. She's, uh, she's an absolute superstar. I love her to bits and I wish her absolutely nothing but the best. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country. Greener is continuing at the Gaiety Theatre. At Project, we have Pigeon from Carpet Theatre and also the Blue Boy from Broken Talkers is running there at the moment. Um, the Viking Theatre at the Sheds has the parting glass. Um, the Gate is about to kick off with Glengarry Glen Ross, which looks very exciting. The New Theatre is continuing with Love in the Title from Hugh Leonard. Smock Alley has She Stoops to Conquer. Bewley's Cafe Theatre has A Galway Girl. Uh, and also a new show called Ethica, which is four short Beckett plays uh, from Sugarglass Theatre, is kicking off in the Samuel Beckett Theatre. And that's coming straight off the back of a tour to Bulgaria, which all sounds very interesting. There's a load of um, short Beckett plays over the last little while. It's very interesting to get people are getting to go and uh, and see a lot of that work. That's definitely worth checking out if you get the opportunity. As we look around the country, Des Kyo's production of A Love Hungry Farmer is at the Everyman, and that'll be followed there by the Taylor and the Anstey. Uh, and also Translunar Paradise is at the Opera House down in Cork, if you're down in Rebel County. Um, Love All is at the Bell Table in Limerick, and that is touring extensively around the country, so do keep an eye out for that production, which got such great reviews. Uh, when it played earlier this year and as we head up north to Belfast at the Lyric Theatre we have the Civilization Game which also looks uh, like a really interesting show so look that's us that is episode 29 in the books we will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Ogue McAnally I'm Angus Ogue McAnally we'll see you next week Kyla, 
Who's your favourite actress? Kathy Belton. Oh, Kathy Belton. Who's your other favourite actress? Catherine Walker. Oh, Catherine Walker. And uh, what does Peter Daly look like? Monkey. Oh, thanks. Okay.